Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew 8, 1-17 Well, good morning, church. Let's uh, click or open our Bibles to Matthew 8. We're going to be looking at the entirety of the chapter this morning as we continue in our series, Kingdom Come. Uh, I'd like to just say something before I begin uh, to get into the message that one of the the disadvantages of church this large is that you know a few of us. We're on stage more often. I I know you know my name because I come out and they put this little underwriting thing. It says Mark Christian. And so those of you that are visiting might know my name and and everything. And so I get a lot of attention that's really undeserved, but I get it because I'm on stage in front of you most every Sunday. But there's a lot of people who make this place work each and every week, programming, providing materials, just making sure that this is a safe, warm, inviting environment, especially safe. And this last week, I just want to highlight four people. I know I'll miss some, but just give me grace that I want to just highlight those. Uh, I'd like to recognize David Heflin, Jesse Leatherman, Daniel Finch, and Jeff Stevenson, because the reason we can get out of our cars and not fall down is those guys worked all week long to prepare our sidewalks and our parking lots. And we don't see that often, but yes, let's say thank you. So we're in the book of Matthew, if you are visiting with us, and we've been looking at the theme of kingdom come. Matthew has a very specific intention behind his writing of the story of Jesus, and he is uh, reaching out to the Jewish people of his community to show them who Jesus was. So we're focusing on the king and his kingdom. And every passage that either talks about the kingdom will reflect on the king 
And so we're connecting these pieces. What we've learned so far is in chapter one, uh, Matthew has showed us that he is the promised Messiah from the lineage of David. He is of the royal kingdom. Chapter two, uh, he is going to be the deliverer. His parents take him to Egypt to hide away from a king that's trying to kill the boys who might grow up to be king. And when that king dies, Joseph brings him back from Egypt to deliver the people of Israel. Kind of a reverse exodus, if you will. Chapter three, the, John the Baptist tells us that he's the righteous judge who will judge everything for its pure intent that he knows and he will sit on that throne and judge all men and all kingdoms. Chapter four, he's the obedient son, tempted in the wilderness. And then he comes and asks us to follow him as he guides us and leads us into our future. And then chapters five, six, and seven, which we've taken the last two weeks to cover, is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus shows his authority in his teaching. He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And in that moment, we have this understanding of who Jesus is. Now, Matthew gives themes about the kingdom. He's not always chronological. Not everything that Matthew records happened in order. But in this particular chapter we're about to get in, you're going to see that he is going to align things in such a way. So let's go back to chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. Let's see how the Sermon on the Mount ended as we progress into the next text. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. You'll hear this regularly in the Gospels, that when people heard Jesus teach, their reaction was, wow, he's different than other teachers. He's not teaching what this rabbi said and that rabbi said and this school of thought said. He's actually telling us this is what God means. He had an authority to him. So chapters 5, 6, and 7 show us that Jesus has authority. Then in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he's going to display his authority. And here's where I want us to be really crystal clear. I'll do the best I can to be as concise as possible. It is really exciting to see the authority that Jesus displays. It is. It's exciting to see what Jesus can do. But don't miss that it is Jesus is the one who's doing it. His authority is awesome, but the one with the authority is more awesome. And the difference in how your faith grows is whether you're placed on what Jesus can do for you or whether your faith is placed in who Jesus is. That's significant for us to go forward in Matthew's account. If, if God is simply a jukebox who plays the right song for you when you put in the right coinage, then you're going to be highly disappointed and your faith is not going to grow the moment God doesn't do for you what you want him to. But when your faith is in who God is, even when you're disappointed in what doesn't happen, you still can have faith in the character of the one who said it's okay that it doesn't happen. So to be even clearer, uh, Michael DeFazio, because he's thinking smart, last hour gave me a suggestion and he's like, when you elect a president in our country, we normally are electing someone who we want them to do things for us. Make me promises, keep those promises, and I'll reelect you. You don't even have to care in particular about the character of that person as long as they deliver. In fact, we have decided too many times as a nation, it doesn't matter about the character of the person as long as they deliver. I know this is awkward and you're like, whoops, but it's true, right? When we treat God like a president, we've got it out of order. And Jesus is going to demonstrate authority, but don't forget in a moment where the authority comes from. It comes from his character. 
not just his actions or his choices. So let's begin our journey together. Chapter eight, verses one, two, three, and four. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now this first point is Jesus shows the authority to cleanse. Now you might say, but he healed the man. Yes, he did. But I want to point out something interesting. When the man comes to Jesus, he does not ask to be healed. He asks to be cleansed. Leprosy is a legitimate physical illness. Nerve endings die. The flesh begins to decay. Uh, people lost limbs. The, edge of their, the end of their noses, ears fell off because the body began to eat itself and the nerve endings were dead and they couldn't feel the pain. And so it was a disease, but it was also something that kept them socially distanced. A, a leper was not just sick. A leper was contagious. And leprosy could be passed on. And so because of this, lepers were people that were not hugged and touched and held. The intimacy that they shared with their friends and family was taken from them, such that the law prescribed that if you had leprosy, you could not walk into a crowd like this without pronouncing to everybody, think about this, that you would have to walk in this room and say, hey, everybody, stand back, I'm a leper. And people would have to keep a distance and you would have to announce this everywhere you went. Every single day of your life, you're announcing to people, I cannot be touched, I cannot be near you, I am a threat to you. They could not have gone into the temple to worship, they couldn't have gathered with family and friends, they were outcasts. Isn't it significant that this man comes to Jesus and he doesn't say, heal me? He says, cleanse me. Matthew is pointing out a powerful detail here. And this man, I'm not going to call him a leper going forward because if I only see him as a leper, I'm not seeing him the way Jesus sees him. Jesus didn't see his disease. Jesus saw his humanity. Jesus saw his need. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So here's the theological uh, point, the leverage point here that I want us to hold on to. God has all authority to do whatever he wants, right? It's called sovereign power. God can do anything God wants to do, but God doesn't always do everything he could have done. And for some of us, this is the rub. The sovereign will of God is as important as the sovereign power of God. So we, we would agree this morning, right? God can do whatever God wants. Yeah? Okay, four of you, good, at least that many, all right? So we believe that God can do whatever God wants, but the will of God means sometimes God doesn't do what he could have done, right? Yes. And that causes issues in my life and maybe yours too. But the reason is, if we only look to the sovereign will of God and say, if you don't give me what I want, I won't reelect you, then we are dismissing the sovereign power of God because the authority and power of God is based on his character. Can God tell you no and still be your God? It's trusting the will of God over my own. Jesus teaches to pray. He does in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will but thine be done. That he is trusting the character of God so that when the will of God does not agree with my will, 
he is still my God because he has proven himself. So in all of this, the man says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He's not saying, God, can you make me clean? He's like, if you wanted to, you could. And Jesus is amazing. He says, I'm willing, be clean. And he reaches out and he does something amazing as he's speaking to him. He touches him. So since you guys are interactive this morning, I'm not going to let this go easily. Did Jesus have to touch him to cleanse him? Absolutely not. He can do whatever he wants. But he, he touches him. Why is this significant? Because Matthew doesn't leave details in or out without purpose. Matthew's very specific. What Matthew says is he reaches out and touches him. You don't touch a leper. Why? Because you become unclean. So when he reaches out and touches him, he's not just cleansing him. He's saying something in the cleansing. By reaching out, Jesus has made himself unclean. Let's fast forward the tape to the end of the story. The same man will go on the cross and take our sins upon himself so that we might be what? Clean. Sometimes we ask Jesus just to heal us when we actually need to be cleansed. The character of God is displayed in his actions here, not just his authority, but his character. Verse four, Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. That's weird. You just changed my life and I can't tell anybody? There's a reason. Jesus did not come to impress the crowds. Jesus, yes, he performed miracles as signs of who he was, but that was not his intent for you to think that he was a sign giver. He wanted you to see him who he was as God fulfilling the prophecies and revealing the character of God and God's faithfulness. You see, remember, you can either have God to be your jukebox or you can dance to whatever song he sings. And this is the moment. So Jesus says, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus didn't say, never talk about this. He said, but I'm gonna tell you who to talk to about it. Go to the priest and bring the, the offering. Now, you didn't, you didn't pay God off for healing you. You brought the offering in to say it is a thanksgiving offering. It is a blessing back to God for having blessed me. And so he goes and he gives it to the priest and they're saying, what's this sacrifice for? And he said, I had leprosy and I don't have leprosy. For the first time, this man got to go into the place of worship with others and testify to the goodness of the character of God. Matthew's good with what he tells us that Jesus has the authority to cleanse any of us. Jesus also has the authority to heal, verse five. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, what, 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 pause there. Mark, don't read so fast. A Roman centurion, a soldier. This wasn't just a Gentile. This was an enemy. This was an oppressor. The Romans loved to do whatever they wanted to the Jews because there was no way they would get in trouble for it. If you killed a Jew, it was just a Jew. They were dogs. This Roman comes to Jesus and says, Lord, think Caesar's going to dig that? Not in the least. Where was loyalty? It was back to the throne in Rome. It wasn't to someone else. And he calls him Lord. He places himself under him. He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus says to him, shall I come and heal him? Fascinating. A Jew going to a Gentile's home, outlawed. A Jew going to a Roman soldier's home, 
foolish. Why would Jesus offer such a thing? No devout Jew would do this. This is the point. You might remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in the midst of all of it, Jesus said, if your enemy strikes you on the face, do what? Turn the other cheek. If he takes your jacket, do what? Give him your hoodie. If he makes you carry his load for a mile, carry it for two. Let him know that we are going to answer with love every single time. Not hatred and not revenge, no vengeance. So this moment he says, what does Jesus say? Can I go to your house? See, Jesus is willing to go the extra mile to turn the other cheek. Jesus doesn't just teach us what is right. Jesus demonstrates what's right. And he says, I'm willing to go to your house. Verse eight, the centurion replied again, Lord, and I don't believe the centurion's using Lord the way I do, but he's calling him a superior. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and this one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such a great faith. Because the man's faith was not in Jesus' authority to get it done, it was in his character. He realized he was a good man, that he had not only the power, but even in his willingness to come. And he says, I trust you, I trust in your character. It's not what you're going to do for me. It's I believe that you not only can, but that you might. In verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. His faith in Jesus changed it. Now, it's kind of fascinating. He he says, "My, my servant is at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. He didn't even ask Jesus to do anything. He didn't go to Jesus to play the favorite song. He went to Jesus to say, can you help me? And Jesus said, yeah, as your faith, believe, go. And immediately his servant was healed. And he says, I've not found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Go in your belief. Which is interesting because here's a healing where there's no touching. Sometimes he touches, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it's with words, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's after a request. Sometimes no request needs to be made. You see, if you believe in the goodness of Jesus, you can place your faith in him and let the will of God play itself out. But may we never ask God to continue to prove himself when he already has. Verse 14, when Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew's telling us something, isn't he? The character of Jesus is displayed through his authority, but don't separate the two. There's cleansing And there's healing. And Jesus has the authority over disaster. Verse 23, then he got into the boat. Now, I want you to imagine this because not very often is Matthew chronologically based. But when he is, it's significant. Jesus had just preached this epic message of the Sermon on the Mount. He preached it to this large crowd. It says he comes down the mountain. All of a sudden, he he meets a man with leprosy, takes care of that. Centurion comes. 
takes care of that. He goes to Peter's house. He heals his mother-in-law. Then he gets into a boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm comes up over the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. What? He just cleansed the leper? He just healed Peter's mother-in-law? He just healed the centurion slave, although they probably didn't know that evidence until the centurion got home, but he had to live nearby. They have seen these miracles. They've heard this great teaching, and he's asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. He wakes up and he calms the storm, and then they ask the question, what kind of man is this? Well, if you don't know what they knew... This will seem weird. Listen to what the Jews would have known about the water. Psalm 90 or 89, rather, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107, 29. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Do you see what kind of question they're asking now? They've been on the water before. The storm comes up. Jesus is sound asleep. They wake him up, and he said, why are you scared? Well, look around, sir. But Jesus stands up, and he says, be still, and immediately the water is calmed. And they look at each other and go, huh, we read this before. There's only one, there's only one person who can do this, and his name is God. Who is he? He's in your boat. See, when Jesus says to them, What are you afraid of? Don't be afraid. You have little faith. He wasn't saying you have little faith that I can stop the storm. He's saying when I'm in your boat, you're safe. Faith that is based on the character of God is much greater and lasts forever. Faith that is based in whether or not we get what we want is faith that dies quickly. And they say, even the wind and the waves obey him because there's only one that creation obeys, and that is God. The authority that belongs to God is the authority that is demonstrated by Jesus because Jesus is God among us, showing his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his protection. And I want you to note this, just as a sidebar, if you go back and look at everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and you look at what happened when the world broke because of sin, you'll notice in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, Jesus is correcting, he's setting it all back right. That it is not so broke that God can't fix it. And the will of God is to come. You remember the great revelation? At the end, he will set everything right and everything broken will be perfect, restored, redeemed and rejuvenated. God will bring us all together. And Jesus in his authority is demonstrating that God has already begun. The promise is not that you won't have storms. The promise is that God will be with you in each one of them. And when you can't, he can. All right, preacher, but he hasn't. My marriage is a storm. My kids are a storm. My job's a storm. My addictions are a storm. 
I'm constantly battered by the waves. I am scared. I awaken wondering, God, will you wake up and notice me? And I want you to understand, it is okay to have every one of those feelings because your reality is overwhelming and the waves are lapsing. I ask you the question, is God able? What if he doesn't though? Can we trust in the will and timing of God? Based on results, you won't. Based on his character, you will. God will make everything right in his perfect time. And we must trust that. Yes, there will be storms. And yes, there will be tragedy. And yes, we live in a broken world. But God's character is not impugned because when his will chooses, it's what Jesus cried in the garden that night, not my will, but yours be done. He trusted in the character of God when the results weren't there. This is a hard teaching, but it's a true teaching. Faith in who God is allows for cleansing, it allows for healing, it allows for nothing in this world to overwhelm us because God is in control. And then Jesus has authority over demons. What a day this guy had. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadareans, two demon-possessed men coming out from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Pause there for a moment. Don't go too fast. Okay? I like to walk through my neighborhood. There's one particular dog who does not like me to walk through his neighborhood. I have walked by their house. When they're outside, I'm safe. When they're not outside, I am a meal. He got me or she got me once. She's tried several times. I don't like to walk by her house. Now, Jesus or Matthew just told us that in this region, nobody walked in this area because these two crazy demon-possessed men were there. So this is not just, hey, who are these guys? When Jesus shows up, I think it's intentional that he parks his boat in their region. Everybody else would have known about it. Verse 29, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, pause there for a moment. I'm going to ride this pony around the room till it dies exhausted. <laughs> the demons know who they're talking to. Church, when you know who God is, the results are secondary. The demons call him son of God, they shouted. Why have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They're telling us the story. Is today the day you take us out? I, I thought it was going to be later. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out, went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And story ends. What? There's so much here to cover, but some idiot named Mark decided to handle this whole chapter in one Sunday. So you have Bibles, read it, spend some time in it, savor it. You're going to see some things. Here's what I see. I love the fact that the demons loathe Jesus, yet they are completely under his control. Do you notice this? They're saying to him, please don't do this to us. If they were so powerful and mighty, they would do whatever they wanted. They would challenge Jesus to a duel. They don't. They have more respect for who Jesus is than humans do. Because it's not about the results, it's about who he is. And they call out to him. Uh, one preacher said it well. He said, Satan is a lion, according to 1 Peter 5, but he's a lion on a leash. He does not do anything that God does not permit. God's sovereignty is not questioned by the power of Satan even for a second. You see how all these stories encourage you and, and me not to hold on to fear, but to behold him? 
Notice that every time Jesus says, fear not, it's because he's there and his presence is with us in the Holy Spirit. When you and I begin to, to fear, I ask you, don't look at the waves. Don't listen for the winds. Don't look at the demons. Don't look at the disease. And don't look at yourself as an outcast. Look to him. Trust his character. And should you not catch a break in this world, remember the words of Job. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes, but what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we trust in who Jesus is, the circumstances don't overwhelm us because the power of God comforts us. That's why in verse 17 of this chapter, it's quoting a passage in Isaiah 53. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. God is not unaware of what you're going through. God is not unaware of what you've been through. There's no promise in the scripture that the storms of life will not come. Remember how the sermon ended. And when the storms of life come, if you're built on the rock, it stands. And if you're built on the sand, it all falls apart. You see, it's not that the storms won't come. It's who do you stand with in the storm? Who is with you in these moments? If, if it's your will, may I be clean. If you speak the words, my servant will be well. My mother-in-law is sick. The, the, these demons, these storms, in each and every moment, we'll see that faith comes by turning our eyes on who we're trusting, not just in what we get from it, it's a powerful lesson about the authority because all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord laid all of our iniquity upon him and Jesus will right every wrong. And yes, there are times we all confess. There are times that we would have wished that God would have stopped the storm before it ever hit me or took my family or took my marriage or took my children. I trusted him and he wasn't there when I needed him. And Satan whispers in your ear because God isn't trustworthy. I ask you this question. When you look to Jesus and see what he came to display in his authority, can you trust that he has you too? You see, whether you're a person who's not a believer, and I don't mean you're flawed or broken. I just simply mean you have never placed yourself under the authority of Jesus. You've hoped that God will do things. I can't imagine you would come to church if you didn't believe God existed. You believe in the sovereign power of God that he exists and created this world. And there's something in your soul that connects with that and you realize this is true. But you, you haven't seen Jesus for who he is. It's not a list of rules. It's not how many times you go to church. It's about connecting with Jesus and what he did for you because he loved you. And you've never taken the step to say, I need to be cleansed. I need to be healed. I need Jesus. I don't just need his protection because if all you want from Jesus is protection, you don't want Jesus. If all you want from God is a nice life, you don't want God. You just want the results of a God. When we turn our hearts toward who he is, we receive so much more. That's why Jesus said, turn from your ways and come into my kingdom. My father is welcoming you home. If you've never placed yourself under the lordship of Jesus, I ask you today, is today the day that you step for the first time into the heart of trusting who he is, not just what he's, what he's doing for you right now. And for the rest of us, I have a more pointed example. 
For the rest of us who at one point in time made a pledge of allegiance to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, accepting both his work of salvation so that we can place ourselves in the commission of helping him lead this world and set this world up to the glory of God, to live intentionally for him rather than having him move in with us. The question of the morning is, are you trusting in the character of Jesus or the works, the actions, the miracles of Jesus? There's nothing wrong with receiving the goodness of our King. But we need to receive the king, to give ourselves to him and let everything else work itself out. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that other stuff comes together in God's perfect will. Behind you at the back of the room are two tables with lamps lit on those. In just a moment, a few people are gonna head back there to meet with you. Is today the day that you say, Jesus, I'm gonna give my life to you. I'm gonna walk with others so I don't do this alone. I don't have to know everything, I have to know you. Remember, to become a disciple is less about what you don't know than it is about what you do. For some of us, it's restoring it, maybe asking for prayer or encouragement, maybe to say, I need to take my next steps, as Spencer talked about, to go forward. The authority of Jesus is calling you to follow him. Do you trust the man who's calling you? Maybe you need prayed with. Whatever your decision is this morning, don't let this moment pass by. We're going to sing a song. You'll have an opportunity to go back and meet with someone. I trust you those tables are safe. No one's going to get you to do anything. We're going to invite you as satisfied customers into the kingdom of heaven to follow the king because the sovereign power of God is undeniable. The sovereign will of God is where we place our faith. And that will was demonstrated in Jesus. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.